Welcome back, everybody. This is Mental Radio. I'm your host, Jesse Zuckman. This is the podcast where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. And thank you to everybody who supported our GoFundMe later in the year and early this year. We've got a lot of new people on the thank you list at the end of the show. Thank you for supporting us. If you'd like to do the same, you can go to mentalhealthmedia.org slash donate and receive a tax deduction for your donation and get your name read on the podcast for any donation over, uh, say, 20 bucks. We'll read your name on the podcast. So today we've got Christy Huff, Dr. Christy Huff. I'm really excited to have her on the podcast. She is the director of the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition that works to educate patients and clinicians about benzodiazepines. If you don't know, benzodiazepines, sometimes called benzos, are a classification of drug very often prescribed for anxiety. They have names like Valium, Xanax, um, Ativan, so on and so forth. I was on benzodiazepines for a long time, I think about five years at a very, very high dosage, and getting off of them was one of the most painful things um, as I say in this interview, not only that I had ever experienced, but one of the most painful things I could ever imagine experiencing. Not every patient gets these withdrawal effects, but for the patients who do, like me, uh, rehabilitation can take years, and that is what Dr. Huff's work is all about at the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. They've put together an amazing resource for patients and clinicians at benzoinfo.com, where they have all kinds of information about how to taper, how to find a doctor who can help you taper, um, and just, uh, you know, information about all of the side effects and how to actually use these meds safely for certain conditions where it is appropriate. It's not all about just banning benzos or anything like that, as we make very, very, very clear in this podcast. The Benzo Benzo Information Coalition is absolutely not about taking meds away from anyone, especially when they have a physical dependence on them. Cold turkeying, these meds can really hurt you. Um, and really messy up. So that's not what this conversation is about, but it is a conversation all about benzodiazepines um, and how we can get the word out so these substances are prescribed with informed consent and prescribed just in a way that helps people more than it hurts people, or, or at least puts people at risk for developing dependence and these wicked, wicked side effects like I had and like Dr. Huff had, um, or she is still in uh, still in recovery. So she's still kind of going through the tail end of her recovery right now. She's able to do a lot more, but uh, you'll, I'll let her uh, tell you all about it in her own words. That said, nothing on the podcast is intended to be medical advice or medical care, and we mean that. You really cannot take the advice of this podcast and use it to change your treatment plan whatsoever, especially when you're talking about medication. You need to talk to your doctor. You need to talk to your trusted medical professional. We are not that. Dr. Huff uh, is a doctor, but she's a cardiologist, and she's not your doctor, and I'm definitely not your doctor. So don't do what we say. Talk to your doctor if you need help. Um, everybody is different. Everybody's situation is different. It's not something uh, I recommend at all doing on your own. I certainly wouldn't have been able to taper off clonopin on my own or do any of the things that I talk about on this podcast on my own. So with that out of the way, I bring you Dr. Christy Huff. 
Dr. Christy Huff, thanks so much for being on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, of course. Uh, we've talked on Twitter uh, for years, I think, at this point. And, uh, you know, it's so, so good to hear your voice and uh, connect with you. Um, for people who aren't on our, you know, our little Twitter community, um, tell us a little bit about, about who you are. Sure. So I am a cardiologist and I am now a director at Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Um, it's an organization that um, or educates about the adverse effect of prescribed benzodiazepines. And I got involved in that after becoming adversely affected myself. And how did it start? So you, you got a, a prescription like a lot of people do um, in this country, you were, you were working as a cardiologist, you got this prescription. How did that, how did your story begin there? Yeah. So actually I was a stay at home mom at the, the time I got the prescription. I was having some medical issues. Um, I was having a really bad dry eye syndrome and it was keeping me from sleeping at night. And, you know, while we, they were trying to figure out how to treat the dry eyes, I was given a prescription of Xanax just to take at night, um, to help me with sleep. And so I began to take that. So I started to have some anxiety during the day that I really didn't have before. It was new for me and also a tremor. And, you know, my doctors became really concerned about this, this tremor that I was having. And I ended up going to see all these different doctors, like neurologists and rheumatologists. Mm -hmm. And everybody was, you know, looking for a cause of my symptoms. Nobody ever really suggested that it could be the medication itself. Um, I finally figured it out myself that Xanax was actually causing my problems uh, just from an online search. You know, I, I found some of the patient discussion boards, Benzo Buddies, and saw the symptoms that other people were having. And, you know, it was like a, a light bulb went off there. For sure. I mean, this is exactly what I went through as well. Like, I went through... Um, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with this, I, you know, I, I was having the same effects and I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I went to an immune, uh, the, the immunity doctor, what are they called? The infectious disease doctors, uh, the neurologists, I got MRIs. I, I mean, I went through the gambit and I still didn't know what was going on with me until, you know, just time I started getting better. I'm like, that's probably what it is. But to, to back up just a little bit, um, for people who don't know what benzodiazepines are and not, this isn't all psych meds. This is a very specific family of meds. Could you tell us just real specifically what benzodiazepines are? Yeah, so benzodiazepines are a class of drugs, and you'll know them by familiar names like um, Sanex, Thallium, Ativan, Clonopin, um, and they um, work to calm the nervous system. They're known as sedatives or tranquilizers. They're often used for um, things like anxiety or insomnia. There's a few other uses, but the, those two would be the most common. And, and they get prescribed a lot. How often are these drugs prescribed? I would say it's a... They're pretty frequently. I saw, I was writing an article the other day, and um, one of the articles that I pulled for it said that there were 30 million prescriptions filled by adults in the United States within the last year. Mm. So pretty common. 
pretty common. And what what can happen? Not that these side effects happen to every single person who takes these drugs, but what can happen? What 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 happens to people when they have adverse effects from taking the benzos or from the withdrawal or from the withdrawal in between doses? Yeah, I mean that's a <laughs> that's a long answer there, but I mean the <laughs> the, the first um you know, first thing that can happen is your your body can become dependent on it, and you know, once that happens, it's very very difficult to taper off the the withdrawal withdrawal symptoms are numerous. You know, um, I counted up to eighty different withdrawal symptoms. You know, during during my taper process, um, you know, a subset of people will actually even experience um, neurological damage. Some people are just taking really long long to heal up after after coming off the medication. Uh, but then, you know, there's also the more well-known risks that they talk about in the literature. Like, you know, there, there's possible correlations with dementia long-term. We know that it increases risk of falls and fractures and um, definitely more use or more risk in the elderly population just because they metabolize things differently. Right. Right. And I mean, for me, like, I, I mean, it's hard for me to know what was exactly with the withdrawal effects. I mean, because I got prescribed, I mean, I was at one time when I first got prescribed uh, psych meds, I got put on 12 within a few months of being diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. Right. Um, so I was like, which way is up? And, you know, I and during that time... I wasn't sleeping. So I'm like, okay, how much of this is just damage from not sleeping for a half a decade? Because I'm on all of these meds and they're changing all the time and I'm getting all of the side effects. So it's really a tricky thing, or at least it was for me. And I'm I'm curious how people know this is what it was, or is it just like a process of elimination? You get tested for every you know, MS and everything else. Because the side effects for me looked a lot like MS. I had muscle jerks, uh, shaking, um, you know, and, and it was, and, and my, my muscles would like give out. I remember once I was at the, you know, trying to go grocery shopping, my legs just gave out and, you know, I go to the doctor and they're like, we have no idea what to right. tell you. I mean, is that enough to know that this is probably what it is? Well, I think, I think it definitely is a, a process of, a, sorry, getting tongue twisted here, um, a process of elimination. Like you said, like you definitely need to rule out serious conditions. And, you know, I went through a whole battery of testing as well. Like in, in my case, it was pretty obvious to me that it was the drug because I was, you know, I knew how I felt before I started it. And it was only the Xanax that I started. And then I started to have issues, you know, pretty quickly into taking it. Um, and then once I started the withdrawal process, every time I cut my dose, it was very obvious that it was causing withdrawal symptoms. So I think I think it's really just being aware of your body and, um, you know, how these things are affecting you. Um, it, and it, it does get hard when people end up on several drugs at one time, several drugs at one time, you know, polydrugging. It's like what, which, which drug is causing which side effect. That's a little harder to tease apart. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was on, I mean, I was on all of those drugs, but the last ones that I came off of, well, I was, the the, la the very last one was gabapentin, but 
before that, it was uh, Klonopin that I was on for so long just because I had tried to taper over and over and over. And this is the thing that people don't really get is that, you know, if you have a side effect from most uh, like an SSRI or even an antipsychotic you don't like, you can come off of that drug. When you're on benzodiazepines, I mean, for me, I could not, I mean, I tried tapering for years to get off of these drugs and the side effects would be so hellacious that it was no doubt that it was that, that was what was causing it at that time. It, after I was totally off, that was a little less clear. But when I was on it, it was the worst pain that not only that I'd ever felt in my life, but it was the worst pain that I could ever imagine feeling. It was literally the feeling of fire inside of my nerves, in my arms, my hands, and my legs. Like literally, if you had set me on fire, the pain threshold honestly would have been similar. And I'm someone who has dealt with a lot of, I've had kidney stones, I've had uh, a lot lot of serious physical things. I know what pain is. Um, You know, it's it's not so simple. So that's another thing that kind of makes this so bad is that even if you want to get off, people don't know that it that could take years. And then after you jump off, you could still be sick for years after that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've exactly described my experience with them. I was, I was sick on the drug, but I could not reduce my dose um, very quickly at all. And in fact, it took me over three years to taper off. I, I was using Valium to taper. Mm-hmm. It took me exactly three years and three months. And I'm nine months away from my last dose mm-hmm. um, as of today. And I'm, I'm still experiencing symptoms that I attribute to the benzodiazepine. I'm, you know, a, a lot better than I was. Don't get me wrong. But the, I'm, I'm still in the recovery process, still healing. For sure. And I mean, for me, like, it's kind of a reminder because, you know, I I was sick for so long. It was still, it was more confusing than most people um, kind of have where it's they're on one drug, they have one issue. Uh, mine was a little more fuzzy than that. But regardless, I, I just, I've gotten so much better with time that it's like, mm-hmm. you know, my psychiatrist, I finally found a good psychiatrist who helped me get off everything and uh, really helped me in a lot of ways. But, you know, she said, I know you think you're doing all of these different things to help your body, but really time is off all of these drugs is really what's healing you. And I try to remember that because even as like I am better, I'm almost like, I want to go back to my old life. You know, I went hiking. I climbed, you know, a a small mountain. Um, I'm able to go out and go to shows. But still, if I travel a lot and or if I have to get up early, I'll still crash. So right. it's like, I don't know if you've experienced that where you kind of have to give yourself a little bit extra space because it's, you can't outrun the healing or you can't push it. Oh yeah, definitely. And I've, you know, I get myself into trouble all the time because, you know, I spent four years just being practically housebound and bedbound. And now that I'm starting to get some windows where I'm feeling relatively a lot better, I just, I want to do everything, you know, right. I'm, I mean, I miss, I miss my old life and then, but then I crash. So I have to be really mindful of, you know, how much that I do, how much that I take on. What What's that? What's the conversation? I mean, Cause I need that right now. Cause right now, you know, I, I've launched this platform. 
And I'm like, I want to go back to doing my thing. And it's like, what do you tell yourself? Do you, you know, what, or what would you tell people out there starting this journey that are like, I had a good day. I want to go back to it. What, What would you say to them? I mean, I, I really just think it's a matter of pacing yourself. I mean, I'm finding out that it's it's trial and error, too. And I, I think it's okay to push yourself a little bit, but you have to, because otherwise you're never going to get back out there if, if you don't try. But you also need to be very respectful of your limits. So so right now, I'm in my own life, I'm just setting priorities. You know, like, you know, my prior, priority is taking care of my daughter and doing my advocacy work and you know beyond that i'm just not going to worry about it getting done mm-hmm. and those are so, good I mean, li- that's just how i'm managing it you know and that's and those are good life lessons like i think we'll we'll all probably take you know with us even as we get better right because everybody sure, should know sure. how to do that you know? right <laughs> no, we don't um does anything help people i know this is kind of like a controversial like if I tell people what, like if I took an amino acid or a supplement that I think helped the withdrawal, um, people get kind of, it can be a thorny topic. Do you think anything helps besides time and rest? You know, that's, that's a really good question. And what I found just from my own experience and talking to other people that it's just really an individual process. So one person may, swear by a certain supplement and then it may trigger someone else's symptoms Mm -hmm. so again it's it's a trial and error process so there's nothing really that i recommend specifically besides you know the obvious things like reducing stress and plenty of rest and plenty of um, plenty of fluid and you know eat a balanced diet with no processed food and low sugar you know just the kind of common sense type things, you know, walk and exercise as your body can tolerate. It's just, but there's really just, there's no magic, magic solution, but time, unfortunately. I wish we could rewind about four years and have this conversation, but uh, hopefully somebody out there is starting this journey and hearing it now and it's somewhat helpful. (laughs) Um, How does this happen? Like we're online, we see hundreds of people affected um, negatively by these medicines and you know uh it, you know to be fair some psychiatrists really do know this is a thing but it seems like most of them even don't know about um protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal symptoms uh syndrome and they don't know that you can get these effects lasting for years and years and years or even that benzos in some people can really mess us up like how does that happen we have millions of people on these drugs how can people how can doctors be so ignorant and, and nurse practitioners and and, and 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 just doctors in general be so ignorant to this med that's so common and hurts us so bad right and that's a good question and honestly i'm i'm still shocked i'm i'm shocked about what happened to me because i was never taught about it um, during medical school or my internal medicine training Um, So I definitely know it's an educational issue. People are just, they're not getting it in their their medical education. And then I also know that that's not listed in the FDA literature. If you go and look at the medication guides, it doesn't say anything about a benzotaper could take years or, you know, 
you could be sick for years or sustain neurological damage or protracted withdrawal, whatever you want to call it. And but like I said, that's just not there. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, the studies that were done when these drugs weren't initially approved were short term. You know, they, these, these drugs have not been studied in the long term, but patients have been left on a long term. Right. Hey. So, and then it, it, it seems like we have a, um, in medicine that doctors are more likely to look for, you know, some kind of organic disease process mm-hmm. that's that they can diagnose with testing versus calling it a drug side effect or adverse reaction. It's just seemed that's the last thing that they look for. And obviously we need to change that. So, yeah, I mean, I remember I walked into a, uh, a, a neurologist and he, he basically said, oh, the clonopin dosage is too small. It could never be that. But it certainly seems like it unless there was some other mystery thing going on. Right. And we hear that a lot, this myth about, you know, the a low dose. There's there's that that's totally a myth that a do- doctors seem to think that, you know, if it's if it's under a certain amount, if it's just at therapeutic levels and not being you know, abused or taking too much that it, that, that can't be the problem. And that's, mm-hmm. that's completely wrong. You know, part of it is like the, the newer benzodiazepines like clonopin and Xanax are highly potent. So if you, one milligram of clonopin is equal to 20 milligrams of Valium just for reference. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's really more than you think. Right. And how, what's a what's a standard dosage of Valium? What do people usually take? Or did I, they? It's hard to say a standard dosage, but I think people are sometimes prescribed anywhere from ten to twenty milligrams a mm-hmm. a day. Right, right, maybe right. standard. Right, 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 right. So how do we change this? So you 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 run an advocacy organization. Um, what do we need to do to get done? What do the people at home? You know, if they've heard about this problem and uh, they want to take action, what do we do? Sure. So one thing that we can all do is fill out an FDA MedWatch report. Those of us that have been harmed, you can just put in FDA MedWatch into Google and there's a there's or actually go to the Benzo Info website as well. You've got an area where you can that's got a link and you can file a report on your injury from benzodiazepines it basically just you put in your information about what drug you took what dose when you started when you stopped and then there's a text box for you to put you know what happened to you so you can describe any ill effects that you suffered and either you can fill that out a family member or even your your doctor you know if they're willing to do that and um you know the good thing about doing that is the fda is basically a big database and the FDA keeps all that information and they're able to, you know, recognize patterns of if there's certain things going wrong. And at some point we'd like to go to the FDA and um, repetition them because there, there was actually a citizen's petition filed in 2010, you know, trying to get stronger warning labels on benzodiazepines. Um, that was rejected, but we, if we can get, you know, more um, information to the database, then 
we'd have more grounds to to go back and repetition them again about these labels. Right, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Is there any? Is it clear at all how many people have adverse effects to to benzodiazepines, like percentage wise? Because it's it's not everybody, right? Or is it everybody? Yeah. So that's that's really hard to know because I see different numbers in the literature. Um, I do know the results from the APA task force that was done on benzodiazepines back from the nineties, and they estimated between. 40 to 80% of people coming off benzodiazepines will experience withdrawal effects. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing that we can, um, one thing we can know. Um, and then Ashton herself, Professor Heather Ashton followed um, people coming off benzodiazepines in her clinic uh, in the UK back in the eighties and nineties. And she described that, up to 10 to 15% of people uh, coming off benzodiazepines would experience that protracted withdrawal syndrome that we talked about. Um, But, you know, in my line of work, it it seems to me that's an underestimate because, you know, we're coming across so many patients um, that that are having issues. Um, And I mean, if you want to see it, just go on YouTube and, 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 and search for you know, benzodiazepines or benzo withdrawal. And it is, I mean, it's one of the scariest things that I've ever seen on the internet because there's dozens and dozens of people who have lost their livelihoods and are, and and that, you know, and are showing, you know, visible twitching, visible weakness. Um, You know, uh, it's ridiculous. So it's, it's obviously a thing In, in, in a perfect world. What, reforms would we see in how these medicines are used? I mean, I personally, it's it's hard to know exactly what would fix the problem per se, because I feel like there's different ways to approach it, whether it's, you know, going through the FDA or going through legal channels, you know, laws and form consent laws and things like that. Uh, but I know from my standpoint what i the main thing i would like to see changes with uh, you know education in the medical community like recognizing that this problem exists at all mm-hmm. and i i think that would change prescribing pr- practices you know i doctors need to be aware not only of over prescribing because i that seems to be the main focus nowadays is to limit prescribing which is fine but the the problem is when you have a patient that's already dependent on it they're trying to get people off too quickly and so you know physicians really need to be mindful on the back end like how do we get patients safely off these drugs and so i really think you know that the education comes in with that and we need to you know set up safe tapering protocols and just make everyone aware that benzos should not be stopped abruptly or even overly rapidly. And, you know, what's considered a slow taper nowadays might not even be, you know, slow by the standards of patients and the online support groups. You know, it seems like doctors want to take people off in two or three months and Mm. it's, you know, some people may need to take years to come off safely. Totally, totally. And I mean, online, we get, if anytime I talk about benzodiazepines on Twitter, um, I get somebody in my mentions losing it 
proclaiming that you want to take away benzodiazepines, you want to ban these drugs, and right. in, in the benzodiazepine advocacy organ like organizations and in these communities, I have never seen that. And the reason you don't see that is that if you did that, people like us would literally die, <laughs> you know, or right, have right, seizures. Know. So no, just to be clear, if you're if you're new to this conversation, or even if you're not and you don't know that. Please hear us when we say we do not want to make these substances illegal because that people who are on it that will literally kill. And there are ways, from what I understand, to use these meds in a different way. Like I have a friend that has tinnitus, constant ringing in his ears, and sometimes it gets so bad, like once every two weeks he takes Klonopin. And that is also a totally different use that nobody is, as far as I know, is really objecting to. <laughs> um, so it's not, this is not a puritanical crusade um, from what I understand. And, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, what we're asking for is for informed consent that withdrawals, uh, withdrawals are possible. And then also education for doctors to know how to taper people off and, you know, how to recommend and prescribe um, these medicines so you don't so you're at a lesser risk of having that dependence already because so many of us I was literally given clonopin and my doctor said take as many as you need you know whatever you're going through a tr stressful time we just don't want any doctor to say that ever right right yeah that's exactly what it boils down to is education and informed consent and you know people they benzos still should be available in certain cases you know we we know that there are okay in the for short term and intermittent use and you know even some people seem to benefit from them long term you know and who are we to you know completely take that tool out of the toolbox so to speak um but people just need to be aware of the dangers before they they sign up for that absolutely um so what should what would you tell uh patients who are already if they're you know, thinking about starting a benzo, what what would you tell them? Um, so, if thinking about starting a benzo, I would I would try everything else you possibly could because this drug is incredibly dangerous. Um, I would, after what happened to me, I would just say steer clear. But you know, if you don't have any other options, at least educate yourself. Um, and make sure that you know what you're getting into. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be, uh, I mean, I, I, when I, I mean, I was not in great shape when I got prescribed, but that was certainly not a big conversation of that, you know, how sideways this could be. And if there was, you know, for me, and, and the reason I, I, I'm doing this platform is because I didn't know what alternatives were available. I didn't know anything else. I just figured my depression and anxiety is so bad that um, nothing else could possibly work. I, I why, why should I bother trying to exercise? Why should I bother trying to get out in nature? Why should I bother trying to move out of you know uh, 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 an apartment in New York City that was filled with uh, industrial smoke from uh, right. you know the meat processing plant across the <laughs> across the street? Literally, you know, none of those things in my mind could possibly have anything to do. Um, but in you know in retrospect that that's how i really you know started getting better was just taking care of myself and that is not on the agenda so i don't know what we have to do to get doctors to uh 
you know, have a standard protocol of, hey, take care of yourself before you go on a drug or at the same time. Right. I don't know if there's an FDA form for that. I know. Part of the problem is just the physicians are so busy and office visit might be 10 or 15 minutes long. Sure. And, you know, sometimes patients even just ex- expect a pill to be prescribed mm-hmm. because that's that's all they, they, they just know you're supposed to go to the doctor and get a pill and um, and or the doctor thinks that that's what they need to do. So um, and it, it's a quick fix. It's you know, it's a Band-Aid a lot of the times. I mean, it, it, it works in the short term. And I think that's why why they do it. But mm-hmm. obviously, in the, the long term, it's because of the effects it's you're better off putting in the the work of taking care of yourself like you said yeah it's not easy but uh well worth it because uh you know oh definitely it it's a, you, you, you hopefully you're gonna have a long life ahead of you so uh you know there's no way out of uh dealing with stress dealing with yourself dealing with you know whatever trauma you have in your background all that stuff the more you head on you could take it take it on you know, the better you're going to be. And, you know, I was just so wrong. I thought there's no way that that could make a difference, but that made much more of a difference than anything else. So, um, you know, the work works. Um, Tell uh, just, just, you know, getting uh, a couple more questions. Um, You you said the Ashton manual. I think a lot of people might not be uh, familiar with that. And what is it and how can they find it? How can that help people? Sure. So I talked a little bit about Professor Ashton. Um, She wrote a manual for withdrawing from benzodiazepines, and it explains about the benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome, and there's also protocols um, for how to taper off a benzodiazepine. And she recommends, um, you know, specific dosage reductions and, uh, you know, the timing at which to do it. But, um, you know, people... (laughs) <laughs> can't always follow her manual to a T. Some people need to go slower. You know, I think the overarching principle is it just the taper speed needs to be um, dependent on your symptoms. And so, um, but it, it's definitely a good educational tool, good starting point. Um, and it's available. If you just Google the Ashton manual, it'll, it'll come up. Um, and it's also linked on our website as well. We have a PDF version, and also there's an Amazon Kindle version as well. And and the website of the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, you guys have an amazing website. The other thing that you have, because I don't want to encourage people to do this themselves, um, is you have a list of doctors that might be more knowledgeable than others. Um, yes, we have, um, we call them Benzo-wise doctors, um, it's just the the term we use for doctors that are willing to run a slower taper than the average doctor. And um, the the doctors that are on our list um, are provided to us by patients in the benzodiazepine community, you know, have ha- who have had a good experience with them. So it's just a, a word of mouth. Uh, and we're always, you know, adding to the list as we find more doctors that are willing to help. Which is super, super important because when you're going through this process, you know, part of the uh, the withdrawal effects can be, you know, being really unclear about what's going on day to day, at least it was right. for me. So when you're, I mean, so for people at home who haven't done this process, like you're literally reducing, like if I, if I was on, 
at, for, at one time I was on seven milligrams of clonopin. Then I did like, I don't know, like a, I think I did like a, a half, maybe I was a quarter or a half every two weeks. I would decrease uh, my dosage. But at the end of my taper, I was literally decreasing the dosage by like 0.25 milligrams. Mm-hmm. And that is hard work. Um, if you want to see what oh, it looks yeah. like, there's a new documentary uh, uh, by Lisa Ling um, called The Benzo Crisis. And they show what that looks like where people are literally using a, um, uh, what was it, not the, uh, a syringe to specific, to, to, to water titrate down the smallest little milligram of clonopin so that they can reduce the uh, amount of effects that that happens when they step down. So when you're in a bad spot, that's really hard. It's hard if you're in a good spot. If you're going through benzodiazepine withdrawal and you're like having cognitive effects and your brain hurts and your nerves hurt and you feel sick and you're doing a science experiment, a chemistry experiment in your kitchen every day, you right. need you need support. If you can get find the support, get the support because it can make all of the difference in the world. And uh, I'm so grateful that you have um, uh, that resource and you're creating this amazing resource. Please, if you're on benzos or you're thinking about um, uh, reducing or anything, please check you out. Where do we find uh, your website? We are at benzoinfo.com. And, uh, and what else? Is there anything else before we, we go that patients should know about this whole thing? This has been an amazing little, uh, you know, uh, condensed, um, you know, uh, info dump on, on what to expect. It's only a half an hour. And I think if, if, you know, most people can really get to the nugget of it, just a- answering, uh, you know, just listening to your answers here, wh- what else should people know? Is there anything that we left out? Sure. I I think the only other thing I'd want to say is, you know, for patients already on benzodiazepines who are thinking about coming off the medication, um, you know, you talked about arranging support, you know, getting a, a, a good doctor to, uh, you know, help with the process, but also, you know, visit our website and educate yourself on the process um, because it, it's... Um, definitely helpful to know what you're getting into and you know just listen to your body um not everybody has a miserable taper um you know just go as slow as go as slow as you need to and um you know i i ended up having a lot of symptoms and had to distract myself you know through the the process so just i i think that goes along with coping skills you know Think about what coping skills you're going to use to to get through the process. And I use things like deep breathing or just sitting and watching Netflix, just anything to get me through that that difficult time. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. One hundred percent. I wish I had these words uh, years ago because if I I push myself way too hard, too fast, and I really think if I if I could go back in time and get a second chance and just go slower, not only in the taper, but in like how much I was trying to do and get back to life. I really think I could have shaved maybe even a year off of my recovery time if I had just taken your advice, listened to my body, given myself the space to heal and also ask for support because 
I knew this is what was going on. And this is why we really need your voice because at least for me, it was really hard for me to advocate for myself because I'm like, ah, I don't really know what's going on. Maybe I just need to push through it and I'll be okay and I'll be able to make money and go back to, but really I needed somebody to say, hey, and I was grateful and grateful to have a psychiatrist who actually was able to do that with my family after I asked them to. And uh, they are on the Benzo Information Coalition website. So if you're in Washington okay. State, you could probably find them. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think you just hit the nail on the head there, like stress productions of another key thing, you know, as far as getting through this process. Well, that's probably something I could still be better at. So I'm going to go meditate oh, yeah. now and I'm going to, you know, it's, it's that time of year. The days are really short. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's stressful just being out here in the cold and wet and dark. Um, so I'm going right. to go uh, take that on, do a little meditation. All right. Yeah, it's almost like going through this process forces you to learn these these life skills that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have. But now we're forced into it because, you know, we got sick and there's really no other way to deal with it. Uh, isn't that the most amazing thing? I heard, I remember hearing that a little bit when I was in the middle of my illness and it made me so mad <laughs> because people said, you come out the other side, a more developed person, uh, you learn all these skills, you get in touch with your emotions and how to take care of yourself and you really get good at boundaries. And I was, and I was so mad. I was like, how dare you say anything good could come out of this? I'm so mad. I lost years of my life and my career. But now I look back and I swear to God, um, you know, if I hadn't been touched by this, there are so many just basic things about being the person I am today who is a much better person. <laughs> I was such a dick. I was narcissistic and self-centered and a workaholic and I've worked through so through all that stuff I know not even just for me I'm a happier person but for the for people in my life oh what a gift to them even though it's been stressful and I'm not going to say it hasn't been but we come out the other side like you know going through like the 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 most wild life seminar of all time you know if you do this work right Definitely. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot in this process. I'm not saying I'm glad that I went through it, but yeah. I, I, it's the silver lining is I learned a lot. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, Dr. Huff, thank you so much uh, for your time and your generosity and all of your advocacy work, uh, making this path just a little bit easier um, or a lot easier for, uh, for our fellow patients. I really appreciate you and your time. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, you got the website and, uh, socials, Twitter, Instagram, anything like that, that people should also check out. Yeah, sure. We're on Benzo Info Coalition is also on Twitter or at BZ Info Coalition, Instagram. I'm not sure, but you, you can just type us and you'll find us. Um, and we're on Facebook as well. So we're on all the social media. All right, and get, I also I have a personal Twitter account as well. You can follow me at Christy Huff MD. Will do, everybody. Follow, follow Doctor Huff, and uh, you always have great things to say. And uh, just appreciate all your work. Thank you so much, Doctor Huff. All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks to Doctor Huff. As always, this 
show is produced, executive produced by A.V. Flocks. And special thanks to Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead, and Patrick Mohan. Thanks to all of our GoFundMe supporters, all of a lot of new names on the list this week. If you'd like to join, check us out, mentalhealthmedia.org slash donate, where you can find uh, links to all the ways to donate and all of the links to our social medias. In uh, order of last to donate, we thank Mecky M, Carolina P, Ryan P, Metal D, Tall Paul M, Joel R, Ben G, Vinny R, Patty M, Sean H, Linda E, Frank G, Johnny P, Sophia M, Jackie M, Bob S, Rose P, Gene A, Handy H, Tim W, Stephanie P, Patrick L, Stephen J, Judy B, David L, Stuart M, Jim E, Cash G, The Smo, Alex B, Marilyn S, Colin F, Lauren B, Patricia M, Phil A, and Ivan M. Music is Drugs of Choice by Handsome. And, uh, yeah, really excited to bring you all the things we have planned for Mental Health Media in 2020. We've got some merch coming out, so keep an eye out for that if you're interested in a Mental Health Media t-shirt, stickers, and assorted accessories. And, uh, yeah, keep, keep an eye out on Twitter for live streams, we're going to start live streaming a lot of these podcasts or just check in with people when uh, it doesn't even necessarily make sense to do a whole dedicated podcast. But we'll start, we're going to start doing live streams um, with people just kind of informally. So at Zookman on Twitter and on Periscope, um, you can check all of those out uh, to get notifications when we go live. And yeah. It's uh, 2020 is off to a little bit of a rocky start, but so far all the patients I've been talking to are hanging in there. We've got each other's back, so you know what? We can deal with a little rockiness as long uh, as, long as we concentrate on the things that we know that uh, keep us well and we check in on each other and we have each other's backs. we got a pretty good shot at making 2020 in this new decade a prosperous one for all of us, so... With that said, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in there. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. This is Jesse Mann signing off. Zai Gesundheit.